On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, he'd have always got the good oil, pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. To Monday's Experts, and really to our chat today, it's a name that we continue in the Sydney Form Guide, winning the big races and slippers, and that is Brenton Av. He's a champion bloke, a champion jockey. We're looking forward to finding out a little bit about his story this next little bit on Sky Sports Radio. And I must have, I'm pretty envious. Uh, my producer and panel, Nick and Tanya, have just down the line in my ears. He's currently in a hammock in the great man. G'day, Brenton. You are living the life, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, morning, Dave. It's quite nice. Just swinging on a hammock over the a Beach, mate. That's outstanding. Well, mate, I really appreciate your holiday. You're joining us and, you know, wanting to talk about your story in life for the next little bit here on Sky Sports Radio. We feel quite honoured, mate, because um, you could have told us, you know, I'm on holiday, get stuff. So thank you. Let's go right back to the start, mate. Uh, where were you born? We know you're 31 years of age, but where were you born? And what was it like growing up as a little Brendan Avdala? Uh, so I was born in Fitzroy, Um Fitzroy and, and did a lot of my early childhood in Port Melbourne. Uh, Dad was a Port Melbourne boy, so uh, a lot of early childhood there. Um, you know, from a young age, I remember being sort of around the races. Not so much the um, the riding side of it, Matt. Dad Dad was a bookmaker, so um, so that was sort of my side to my introduction to the racing there. Um, I loved my footy, loved my cricket, um, basically loved all sports, and I wasn't very big. Uh, I was only a little boy, but um, yeah, that's how I sort of, that was my early years. Um, I was good at school, didn't enjoy it, but I was good at school, and um, yeah, plenty of good memories, um, obviously back in, in Port Melbourne and, and parts of Victoria. So how did I, um, how, how did you get into to riding? Was it, uh, and if you were going good at school, because I chat to a lot of the jocks that come on and say, look, you know, I was good at sport, but wasn't really keen on the academic side of things, so wanted to sort of get away from school. But by the sounds of it, you, you didn't mind uh, the learning aspect side of things. So how did you jump on the horse? Uh, basically, I was, I was going to the, you know, I was going to the races from obviously a young age, and Dad was always fielding at those, you know, Mornington's and packing and meetings. And uh, it probably wasn't until I was about 10 or 11 that I probably took more of an interest in it. Um, you know, I remember going to those meetings during the week and you'd have riders like Noel Callow and Peter Mertens and Nashra Willow and, and, um, they were sort of the first introduction to me from, you know, from the circuit that, you know, well, the races that I was attending, I wasn't attending any of the, the, uh, big days or Metro meetings. So that, at those meetings then that they were your sort of your leading riders. And, um, I remember usually, you know, I got an autograph off Nash and, and stuff like that. And that was probably when I started to swing to the other side of it a little bit. And uh, by the time I reckon I was 14, um, I hadn't ridden a horse, but I'd started to um, go to the stables there at Caulfield at John Maloney. Um, I was fortunate enough that I, we had, um, you know, my dad had mutual friends with John Maloney, and uh, I also had a, a he, John's son at school was in the same year level as me. So um, I was able to sort of attend John's stables there from about 14 and 15 and just get a, a handle on it. And that was... Um, you know, I reckon I was there for three months and over the school holidays and decided I wasn't going back to school, which uh, yeah. Dad wasn't too worried. Um, Mum wasn't happy. And 
basically the rest is history. I learned how to put my first head on a horse there at 15 and left school and had my first race ride at 16. What, what was it about it, mate? Was it the animal? Was it the fact that you could maybe see um, you know, a financial quid for yourself? Um, like sort of, you know, when you're young, I remember I had mates at school, they just couldn't wait to get into apprenticeships and, and, and become the sparky, become that because they could, you know, see what they wanted to achieve, getting to them quicker. What was it for you with racing? Um, I don't know at the time. Like, it definitely wasn't financial or anything. You know, like you, you at that age, you, you have no idea um, how big racing is or where it can take you. Um, you know, my career's been crazy, I feel. Like, from, from what I thought could happen to what has happened, um, yeah, two different things. So it was never the money or anything like that. I suppose I was just a young kid who fell in love. I was always in love with animals, but fell in love with the horse and fell in love with racing. So, um I wanted to give it a crack, and it probably helped that my first race ride, it was a, a winner. Um, but I probably thought, how easy is this? We're chatting with Brendan Abdullah this morning on Monday's Experts. Do you remember that first one ride, and do you remember that first winner you had ever? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember um, a horse called Associate at Bendigo, um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the bosses, and uh, yeah, we took a couple of carloads up to, to Bendigo for the day, and um, I wouldn't exactly say I gave him a great ride. I think I drew barrier four or three wide and I covered midfield the trip. And he uh, somehow stuck his head out and, and won by a head. So, um, yeah, big day. But it uh, comes come crashing down pretty quickly because I reckon I rode another winner for about another 150 rides. And I went from thinking, how easy is this to maybe I've got to go back to school. In that time where you had that early period where, as you said, you had that winner and then it took a while to, to get the momentum up again, um, what's going? What, what was going through your mind? Um, no, nah, it was just a battle. You know, obviously, I, was a, I, I hadn't had any riding experience prior to obviously starting out. And just little things. I was finding it hard to sort of get going. and um, I wasn't learning my craft as well as I probably could have. And I was trying and working hard, but just those little things weren't happening. And then I reckon probably 18 months in... Um, I, I lost my mum when I was, what, 17, I think. And my mum died. And um, strangely enough, I think uh, on her birthday, which was a, about a month, a month or so later, I wrote it packing them and I wrote a couple of winners. And um, I just thought, yeah, someone must have been looking out for me above. And um, ever since that day, I feel that my career had sort of uh, started to evolve a little bit and the winners started to come naturally. I was just going to, I was going to mention that about um, about your mum. So when obviously she passed, and for any young uh, human, male, female, it's it, it it's it's a battle mentally. How uh, obviously your career, you said had from that moment, you know, things were starting to happen. They caught the divine intervention from up above, but that must have been just earth shattering for you, though, mate. Yeah, it was. Um... At the time, I wasn't living at home, so my, my parents had obviously, my parents had split when I was young, probably about 11 or 12. Yep. Um, I'd, I'd lived with mum for a bit, and then once I started my apprenticeship, uh, I'd, I'd moved in with John and John and, um, John and Sue Maloney, and they basically took me in like one of their own, um, and I was in regular contact with obviously dad and mum. Um, you know, they weren't far away, but... Um, in a way, I reckon that was probably a little bit of a saving grace, um, you know, just to have that little bit of, you know, it probably grew me up a little bit, you know, I was 
15 with the way from home. Um, and then, you know, when, um, uh, when mum was, when mum was sick, um, I was currently living with my dad. And, um, yeah, I remember obviously getting the phone call and going to the hospital and they basically said, oh yeah, come back tomorrow. And then when I went back home about two hours later, they called us back in. So it all happened pretty quickly. Um, and then I remember, you know, I think I had a day off work and I was pretty shattered, but I just said to dad, I remember saying to him, dad, I said, there's no point me being at home. I said, I'm just thinking about it. And I found, I probably found that being around the horses and the racing actually really helped me get through it. And, yeah. um, yeah, that, and that's, and that's where I felt my comfort, you know, away from the, you know, away from home and, and back at the track. So, uh, it's still something I always, I always think about, always think about it, but yeah, at, um, at the time it was pretty hard and, um, it was just one of those things that, that happened and, um, <laughs> always miss her, but yeah, it was just, just a, a very sad time for, for a little bit and, um, yeah, very lucky that probably the horse probably pulled me out the other end. Don't worry, mate. She's still here. She's still with you. She's here with you every day. And um, she'd have the biggest smile in the world from what you've achieved uh, now and what you're going to continue to achieve. We're chatting with Brenton Avdala this morning. Brenton, what about the move to Sydney? How did that come about? And when you when you came up to Sydney, uh, were, you, were, you, were you nervous? A um, little bit of nerves. So I'd obviously, um, you know, when I moved to Sydney, I was 18. So I was, what, two years into my apprenticeship, a year and a half into my apprenticeship. Um, I was going a ride. I think I was leading the credits in Melbourne, uh, and we just thought it was spring carnival time in in Melbourne that um, we got a phone call saying, "Well, if you want to come to Sydney, obviously Nash and, and Blake were the two current riders for Gay Waterhouse, and they um, they were moved. They were going to Melbourne, obviously for the carnival. Uh, I think her apprentice at the time, Daniel Gannon, was injured, uh, so I, it was just a good opportunity for me to go there for you know six weeks or, or two months and and just have a bit of a look and something different. And I thought, you know, she's our, our mate, our lady, lady in racing, so I, I couldn't pass it up. Um, went there for six weeks. Had a, you know, didn't get a lot of support, but um, gave through me on some winners, and I enjoyed the racing side of things, but I really found um, living in Sydney difficult. Um, I, I think I extended my apprenticeship for, with Gay for about another, another month. And then I was ready to pack it up and go home. Um, just wasn't enjoying my, my, my lifestyle there. Obviously, I didn't really know anyone. and um, It's different. you obviously living away from home, but then again, living in the state. So uh, I couldn't just drive five minutes down the road and see Dad or anything like that, which I found difficult. I remember ringing my manager on the way home, saying, uh, you know, on the way home from track work one day, saying, well, no, nah, this isn't me. I'm coming home. Uh, he was actually working for Anthony Cummings at the time and he said, well, there's an opportunity there for Anthony Cummings. He'll give you, he'll give you uh, great support. So I stuck on a little bit longer, um, transferred my indentures over to Anthony and six weeks turned into, uh, what? <laughs> I'm on now, probably all 13 years. So, um, yeah, that's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy. Um, you know, the, the real changing point, I reckon, was probably uh, after 12 months. You know, I, was, I had a good support from Graham Berg and um, a little filly called Speaker and Myra probably flipped my world around. And uh, she was probably the main reason why I, Graham, Graham Anthony, too, and um, her, Speaker and Myra, were probably the main reason why I stayed in Sydney. When you, when you say that, you know, at the time you were you know, talking to the manager and you said, no, nah, I want to pull the pin, and obviously that opportunity came up in Anthony's, 
when you no doubt when you first started at Anthony's, you still in the back of your mind would have been thinking, oh, I've got to get back to Melbourne. This is a low joint, you know. And Sydney can be like that. It can, it can, it can if you don't have uh, good connections around you or, or a good lifestyle away from your work, it can eat you up and spit you out. Um, but what was it about working at Anthony's or what was it about that early period that made you sort of keep wanting to turn up and, or did you just get into a process where you just, you know, you, you thought, right, oh, well, I'll, I'll keep doing. And then, as you said, one week turned into two months, into six months, into, into years. It was probably just more the opportunities that kept me here. Um, you know, I was obviously a claiming apprentice too, but Anthony was treating me like a, a stable rider and a senior rider. And I think that was probably the main thing that kept me here. Uh, you know, the, the lifestyle of, of things I wasn't enjoying still. Uh, that wasn't probably until, you know, at least 12 months in that I'd actually, you know, had a, a group of friends and, and you know, started to work that out. But, yeah, I reckon it was just more the opportunities that Anthony gave me. Um, you know, I remember right, yeah, I was riding in group one races and and then, like I said, I was, I was he was able to allow me to um, sort of sort of freelance Ride work as well as an apprentice too. So you know, I'd be, I'd be start. He would start his gallops at six thirty in the morning, and you know, I was riding for other trainers. And um, during you know, in the early part of the morning, that's where I sort of linked up with you know trainers like Graham Begg. And um, Graham had a great team of horses around when when I was there. And uh, very fortunately, Graham treated me like one of his right, one of his main riders too. And um, like I said, that was probably just definitely the you know what 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 kept me in Sydney. And um, very thankful for those opportunities. Yeah, tell us about the first time you sat on uh, Secret Admirer's back. Um, obviously, um, she was a great mare, um, and she had this brilliant racing style. I remember, did you ride her on debut at Canterbury? Yeah, rode her. Yeah, yeah. I basically rode her early, nearly most, nearly every start early on her career, and um, yeah, she wasn't much of her as a, as a younger horse. Um, it was only a little light feeling. I remember, sort of, I think I had one sit on her at the track, and. Um, because she was quite a difficult ride, she used to fall pretty hard, and um, she 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 you know she gave me a little feel, and I tried her, and she obviously tried like a horse that would win a couple of races, but I didn't know sort of at what level, and at that stage too, you know, I I'd ridden in Group One races, but I didn't know what a Group One three year old was, or you know what genuine Group One horses are. You still don't have that sort of feel for them, so I, I wasn't sure at what level she was at, but she was one filly that. Um, quickly progressed through the grades and um, I think at start four she was a, a group one winner. Yeah, she she won that flight stakes back in two thousand and ten with you on board. Um, you've defeated more strawberries. Um, gee, that's that's a little sub story in itself. I mean there you go, you're defeating um, more strawberries, obviously for for Gay Waterhouse and, and whatnot, but I think it was yeah, Nash was one of that day. So there's a bloke who you went and saw as a young kid there at Mornington punching around, Nash. And here you are beating him in what a couple of moons later in a Group One um, for Graham Begg. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, I'm not sure if Nash, I reckon it was Corey. I reckon Corey was on more strawberries that day. But um, it is crazy. You know, even just thinking about you know, I went from obviously watching those boys that um, you know those those riders, the idolising from a young age and. And even when I was apprenticed to Gay, you know, I moved up to Sydney, and next thing you you go and head and head next to them, you're working with them. You know, you yeah. you basically, you know, if you're an AFL kid or you're an NRL boy, it's basically you, you, you know, you you idolise your Dusty Martins or your Billy Slaters, and you know, ten years on, you you side by side on the same team. So yeah. um, that's the way I looked at it and felt about it. But um, 
yeah, she was yeah, she was an amazing filly for me, and um, yeah, winning that five stakes uh, definitely changed my my career, changed my profile, and and probably my life. So um, yeah, she uh, she came from last and swooped down the outside, and and that became to her custom uh, her racing pattern. And she must have liked you, mate, because she only ever won three times. She won a maiden at Canterbury. Uh, she always had that red light flashing on when she did race. Like, she had some amazing... The sectionals she must have been running were extraordinary. Um, but she won the Canterbury Maiden, the Flight Stakes, and then obviously got the Epson. And she took you to Cox Plates and, and whatnot. And we're chatting with Brenton Abdullah this morning on Monday's Experts. Uh, when you talk about... Uh, and I, I find that really interesting, you know, that you... She was the horse that changed your life in terms of... You know, maybe acknowledgement from other trainers and in these big races, but also to the feel. What was it about her feel that at the time you didn't really understand, but now you do from sitting on other horses that that she gave you? Ah, uh, basically, she just had the engine under her. You know, she she wasn't a big filly early, and um, yeah, the day I let her rip in the flight stake, she just launched. But it was probably more so, um, you know, twelve months later when she won the Epsom. I just. And Graham just had her set for that one race. You know, he did an amazing job with her for the prep. And she backed, you know, we just had that slow. We had that, she had a couple of runs into it. And I remember riding over the week before in the, I think it was the Shannon. And, um, you know, she got beat. I think she ran third. And I came back in. I said to Graham, I said, I've never been so disappointed to run, you know, you know to be beaten. I said, I reckon she's run huge. And Graham said, don't worry, she'll be spot on next week. And um, she drew wide. And I just remember mid-race, I was just, smoking and I just thought I just couldn't believe what was underneath me and um, I just got her to the outside and she picked him up in you know 50 metres and was hitting the front of an Epson at the 250 metre mark and, and charged away from him so uh, yeah she, she had, a, had a massive engine on her um, really loved riding her and although she only won the three um, two of them were group ones but I think I was placed on her about another five group ones in, in short yeah. margins um, you know she obviously took me to Melbourne for a Cox play I wrote her in a couple of Emirates that she played, um, and looking back on it now, if I if, if I if I found her at my career now, I'd dare say she probably had have another couple of Group One wins on her name. Um, just a little bit of bit more experience and a little bit of rider error there, probably a couple of times. But um, yeah, she was a, a mighty mare and very thankful for obviously Graham and and and, and, and John Muir. We're chatting, as I said, with Brenton Avdala this morning. Brenton, let's talk about, uh, away from the track, a couple of important things. Meeting your wife, Taylor, and obviously um, you've got two beautiful children, Hunter and, and Bella. Um, they must, uh, they become your world, don't they? They are your world. Yeah, they are. So uh, basically, I've sort of known Taylor since, um, yeah, basically since moving to Sydney. Um, just when I was apprentice to Gay, uh, Neil Payne was uh, basically him and Mark Newman were, were two of Gay's riders that were you know used to ride the provincials or every Saturday for her and Neil and Raylene um, his wife are, they're one of those families I basically call them a halfway house and if you're uh, if you're into, if you're you know from overseas or from interstate or anything and it's Christmas Day or you know little things like those those events um, they'll always invite you over for a barbecue and. Um, when I was obviously, yeah, first moved to Sydney and, and didn't have anyone around me or family, I was always invited for barbecues and stuff like that over the meals and, um, basically, yeah, knew, knew all the kids and, um, from an early age, but it wasn't until, yeah, I'd probably got to, uh, well, 
Taylor was never single back then either, but um, yeah, probably wasn't until, yeah, but I was probably 25, 26, and uh, Taylor became available. Um, that's how we sort of... Sort of you swooped. You know, we, we, <laughs> yeah, we swooped. We, we were always friends, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably how we, how we met, and um, yeah, what, five years on, we're uh, married, two kids, and um, yeah, really, really love my life, and um, she's an amazing person, amazing mum, and um, she uh, supports me with um, unconditional love. That's fantastic. And what about, obviously, um, the two kids, mate, Bella and Hunter? I mean, we see Hunter having a kick there with Matty Ryan on the weekend at Rose Hill, the Socceroo, and um, obviously, you know, you, you, you put up social media posts about, you know, taking him and also Bella to the, the Greyhounds, which you love. Uh, that's another passion of yours. I mean, I remember what work with Tony Brassel upstairs and Tony would always say to me off air, he'd say, mate, I wish we could put in form guides when jockeys uh, have have kids uh, because they just seem to come out after the uh, after it's all happened and just be a different person, just ride with so much, you know, passion and, and just get winners. Um, did you find that your life changed once you had these little ones? Yeah, for sure. Um, not, not that I, I, I lost any uh, desire for racing, but Racing definitely um, took a step back in a way. You know, the family definitely came first. And um, I just looked at racing differently. You know, just, just the little things. Um, a lot more relaxed, a lot more chilled, um, which probably helped everything. And, um, yeah, yeah I, I was never... I never knew about the, um, yeah, the, the baby, you know, the the, 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 the the luck the baby can bring until probably uh, until probably Hunter. I, I had a little bit of luck with him, but more so with Bella when we had to have, we had our little girl. Um, she basically brought three group ones in, in, in two months, so uh, she, yeah. paid, she did. She paid her duties very quickly. Yeah, that was brilliant. We'll get to five in a moment. I do want to talk about uh, what August last year, when you were lying in a hospital, you had that fractured C seven and that small bleed um, on your brain. Um, we talk about moments in time. Were you laying there, or around that time, were you thinking, "Geez, I, I know you all. Riding's all you know, or racing's all you know." But were you thinking at the time, "Is this what I'm going to continue to do, or is this all over?" Yeah, well, the the fall was um, the fall was obviously much. I, at the time, I didn't know how bad it was, but it was obviously much worse than I thought. And I remember laying in hospital. I was just more pissed off that I was missing the uh, missing the carnival. You know, the, the yeah. I. I remember sort of waking up halfway to, halfway in the ambulance and, and getting there, and I said, "Oh, who won the who won the last race?" And I said, "Private Eye." And I was I was filthy. I was just you know I was more filthy that I I just thought it was a short term thing, and I was I've just missed the you know a Group Two winner um, in Sydney, and and that was what I was thinking of. And then um, as it sort of went on, and I was in hospital, and I was, I was getting neck pain, and I was getting big headaches, and obviously just little things like that, and when all the scans come back and they'd said, you know, I had two fractures in my neck and a bleed on the brain. I was, and I obviously I hadn't even seen the fall yet. I didn't even know what it looked like. So, um, yeah, I, I think a bit of reality hit then of, you know, how lucky I was and, um, and what sort of time frame it could take me to come back or if I'd come back. And, um, yeah, the early prognosis was, you know, you, you should make a full return, but there's, there's no guarantee. Um, so I just had to, you know, I was I was in a pretty dark place there for a first sort of two months, I suppose. You know, I was in a neck brace for two months and couldn't couldn't get around much, and uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty dark. But um, very lucky I had obviously Taylor and 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 Hunter, and we'll 
we had the, um, you know, we were expecting Bella in November. So um, had a bit to look on, but uh, yeah, at the time it was pretty difficult. And I can honestly say, I reckon three months in, uh, I would have been 65 kilos, um, feeling crap. Um, definitely not with it mentally. Um, that a return was the furthest thing from my mind. Yeah, wow. What, what was it that sparked the change? Um, I suppose when we, when I was able to get mobile, probably helped. Um, you know, we were obviously COVID at the time, and we we couldn't get away anywhere. But when I was able to get mobile and get out of the house, and you know, take Hunter out, and just little things like that, uh, that helped. And then when we had the the birth of Bella in in late November, um, yeah, that obviously changed changed our life having a little girl, and um, yeah, just become more family orientated. And I started to you know live life differently, and, and actually enjoyed being out of the the racing circle. So. Um, that would have been, yeah, probably, what, four months in and, uh, yeah, life had changed. Obviously, we had two kids then and um, and no racing, so I wasn't following the races at all. Um, I was doing plenty of luncheon, um, eating and drinking as much as I wanted and, and really just enjoyed being away from the track. And um, I definitely think just, you know, obviously, the, the body was the body was obviously um, starting to heal a bit better, but I suppose just spending quality time with the family really helped and, and helped me through and, yeah, probably. Uh, it probably wasn't until the fifth month that I, I'd actually even thought about making a return, and um, and that was when we were sort of up at Magic Millions. I went to Magic Millions, and I usually do, do that every year, and and that had probably that just probably lit the fire back in the belly a bit more. Yeah, for those that have just joined us on Sky Sports Radio, we're chatting with Brenton Abdullah this morning on Monday's Experts. Brenton, we talk about sliding moments. Uh, you did a great article with Chris Roots uh, not too long ago. Uh, it might have been just after the Golden Slipper. Um, Fireburn, a filly that you've got this association with now. Um, it, it was really Jason Collett who rode her in the Sweet Embrace, and then he jumped off and jumped on She's Extreme, and you get the call. Do you remember the day you got the call from your manager to say that you'd be you'd be jumping on Fireburn? Yeah, just um, yeah, it's crazy. It's just you know you, you go from thinking that you know I had had no, the way I looked at it at the time was I had no luck in you know in the in the carnival prior the spring carnival. You know, obviously had horses like Private Eye and Think It Over and you could tell they obviously had massive preps between them. I remember um, this is the race successes they had, the, you know, the, the races they'd won and looking at the, the prize money they'd earned, I was oh, I was sick and I just thought, you know, <laughs> there's no no luck for me, you know, how disappointing is that? And I was just so dark at the time but then, yeah, obviously when I made the comeback and returned in February and I um, had the winner at the start of the week for, for John O'Shea Kembler and then um, I won the group one on Hinged, and and then yeah, I think about a week later, I um, yeah, we're, we're talking about a golden slipper, and Mark said, oh well, Gary's just spoken to me, and you know, there's a ride there on Fireburn, and because I'd been out of the loop and hadn't really followed, I, I wasn't sure, of, you know, what she could do or, or what her form was or, or, or what the leading slipper horses were. So I remember sitting at home, I spent the day there looking at the two-year-old replays and. And then um, basically said to Mark, I said, well, she's done nothing wrong, has she? So it's a life chance. And I suppose at that time, no one realised, really knew how good she was. And um, I thought she was just a live hope in a, in a slipper and she'd be competitive chance. And, and that's where we went from there. But as it turns out, that was that was just that sliding doors moment for me where um, six months earlier, luck had eluded me in a way. And um, it was <laughs> repaying me in, in spades, you know, six months later and, very fortunate to, um, yeah, win another slipper. Visually, that was incredible that day, watching her in that slipper. What was it like 
sitting on her back. I mean, um, she's obviously an extremely exciting filly. Uh, she's uh, she's hopefully gonna we're gonna see her as a as a three year old and she's gonna continue on this this unbelievable trajectory she's on. But that slipper win that was just it was just extraordinary to watch. Yeah, I remember galloping her on the Tuesday and you know Gary did warn me. He said, look, she's not a great track worker, but you know you just get a feel of her and she worked well enough to suggest you know she'd be competitive. And it probably wasn't until you know I just I just thought she needed a barrier. You know I just didn't think she draw wide and get back and, you know, be in no man's land. But when she come up with gate one um, and the more I looked at the race, I just, I couldn't see her missing, missing top three. You know, I just, I just knew she'd be strong. She handled all conditions. Um, obviously, we were having a wet, you know, we are having a wet carnival, but, you know, that, that was always going to bring her right into it. And, yeah, the, the closer I got to the day, I just remember being so confident that she'd run well. And um, I wasn't expecting uh, to her to do what she did. Um I remember, you know, at the 700 metre mark when I got knocked over, I just thought, well, that was my race ended. But by the time I got to the 300 and, and give her another squeeze, she she just let rip and within 50 metres, the race was over. And, um, yeah, crazy feeling. I've never had a, a feeling like it where I've just thought that I could win a race to uh, mid-race thinking that, you know, what a waste of time. And this is another one that's got away to then, you know, two furlongs later thinking, well, you know, you, you're dashing clear in a golden slipper. What about uh, some opportunities you'd, you'd like to achieve um, in your career? Because uh, you, it feels like on the back of the uh, the autumn you've just had, you've got that momentum back, you've got that fire back, uh, and bring on spring and and bring on the uh, well, I guess the rest of your career. What do you want to achieve, mate? Um, yeah, I don't know. I've just it's, it's been something that we you know. I usually come up with a, a little few goals and. Um, I suppose everything sort of changed from, you know, when I fell, I, I just literally, the, the first goal was just to try and come back and, and try and enjoy what I did, which which it was, and everything else that came around, it was a bonus, you know, the, obviously the, the three group ones and, and finding her, and um, it probably got to a stage, you know, over the last month where my body was just physically exhausted, and I think that was more just emotionally and mentally, just because off to come back and um, how hard it was to get back, and then, and then jumping straight into those high-pressure moments with with that emotion, so um, the body's pretty, pretty. The body's sound and 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 healthy at the moment, but more mentally just drained. So I'll have a you know a good three weeks off and um and recess. But I'm thinking that you know I just I, I, I love the big stage and um I'm very fortunate that I've won you know I've won a, you know won the premiership in Sydney and and that sort of stuff. So not really a goal of mine to go out and chase that. You know, with kids. You know, I, I don't think I'll ride enough to to be competitive in that, but. Um, definitely just try and aim up at the big races and, and find the good horses and um you you're watching obviously how good how good James been at, at, at Ascot and Yeah. I'm not saying Ascot's the goal, but um just to be on that world stage, you know, you, I suppose now with the world starting to open up a bit, I've had contracts in Japan and, and vice versa. So um yeah, just just trying to to ride and ride in the big races and, and find the good horses and, and, and that's what I want to do, you know, so um, premierships and that really aren't my immediate goal at the moment. Um, but yeah, I just think I, I just want to work hard, um, stay healthy, make sure the kids are healthy, and um, and then yeah, find the try and find the good horses that can take me to the big races. Who would have thought the boy from uh, from Melbourne, from Port Melbourne, knocking around would be uh, on that world stage, mate? Because uh, you will and truly. Names are up in light here in Sydney, and uh, with what we saw on the weekend or last week, you talk about James and and whatnot, mate. You're there with them, uh, and 
bring on the spring. I really appreciate you joining me, mate. As I said at the start, you're on a holidays in Bali with the family. Go and enjoy your time with them. And, uh, yeah, thanks for talking about your uh, your life and your story to the listeners and myself here on uh, Sky Sports Radio, mate. No, any time, Dave. It's, um, yeah, like I said, when you put it, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. We we weren't we weren't growing up in money or anything like that. I, we we struggled as a you know as a family, but always had enough to survive. And um, crazy what racing can do for you, and, and what racing's done for me. Um, it's basically been my life. Now I've introduced you to my, you know to my obviously my career, and uh, it's paid for everything. Taking me all over the world, seeing the Queen, uh, introducing me to my family, and um, yeah, it's crazy. It's been amazing amazing for me, but. Um, yeah, looking forward to obviously the next chapter, and uh, we'll see where we can end up. But for now, I'll uh, I'll probably turn my phone off and have three weeks off in in Bali. <laughs> Beautiful, mate. You're a champion, Brandon Abdullah, folks. On Monday's experts, and I reckon he's going to go and have a beer and enjoy himself with his family. And we appreciate him coming on uh, like that. And what a great yarn! And bring on the spring, I say. Bring on the spring. We're going to see B Abdullah beside some nice horses in the form guide, and hopefully you can get some more chocolates.